Have you fellows cleaned out your garages lately? I tell you, that's, that needs to be done pretty regularly. If you're like me, what you do is you, you have this thing, you know, and, well, I might have a need for that at some point in the future, you know, so I, I, I throw it in there and I keep it, you know, and it's been there for several years now and, and the occasion to use it has never come up and it really needs to be thrown away. It's, it's worthless. There's no value to it at all, right? If you're like me, your garage is probably full of pretty worthless things, things that don't actually uh, uh, have any useful purpose, worthless things. Uh, we want to talk about worthless things this morning a little bit. You know, typically, if we knew a thing was worthless, we'd want to avoid it, wouldn't we? What if, for instance, I told you that I have a chance for you to make an investment in a business opportunity this morning, but I'm telling you right up front, it's a known failure. This business is a known failure. In fact, the uh, the principal parties of this particular investment uh, are probably going to file bankruptcy within the next few days. Would you invest in it? No, you'd say, are you crazy? Why would I invest? That's worthless. That'd be throwing money away. It's good for nothing. Right? It's worthless. Well, I want you to think about things that are worthless this morning. The New Testament uh, describes a number of things that are worthless, and we want to make that our study for a few minutes this morning, with the idea in mind that, obviously, we want to avoid worthless things. Right? You get rid of worthless things. You don't invest in worthless things. Spiritually, we should not want to have anything to do with things that God identifies as being worthless. Stop here for just a minute to say thank you for being present. It's rather chilly, wintry Sunday morning in Middle Tennessee, but we have a privilege to be together in a warm, comfortable place in the company of uh, loved ones and those of like precious faith, and it's a real blessing, and we're glad that you're here to be a part of that. We have visitors with us today, and we're glad for your presence. We want you to come back every time you have a chance. Uh, please uh, ask any questions you have about what you see us doing and teaching here at College View. Thanks to everyone for being here on this Sunday morning. Some things that are worthless. What does the New Testament identify as some worthless things? Well, one of the things that the Bible says is worthless is human wisdom or worldly thinking. Very often, if you're reading the newspaper, listening on the radio, watching the news on TV, our media tends to call forth people that are considered to be experts in various fields. And when it comes to things that pertain to life and values and morality, they'll call forth these experts uh, and, and they'll begin to announce their opinions of things. Very often, uh, these worldly counselors will give answers uh, to the things that they think people want to hear, things that people are looking for. Uh, unfortunately, when these so-called experts give their opinion of things, they're giving human reasoning, worldly wisdom. Uh, they ignore the truth that God has revealed in, their, in, in His Word, uh, and so th they go with the thinking of the world. This is not new, of course. Uh, it's been a continual problem through the ages of people ignoring God, resisting God, refusing to accept what He says as being right. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning verse 19, he said, For the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. The world knows the reasoning of the wise that they are useless. 
Well, there's the concept that we're trying to develop in our study this morning. The idea of something that's worthless or useless or good for nothing. The, the reasonings of the wise, that is, those with worldly wisdom, those things are useless or worthless. I'll tell you, I think there never has been a time in the history of the world when this was a more accurate or a, a descriptive phrase than the times that we live in right now. The reasoning of the wise are worthless. Now, let me give you an example of what we're thinking about. Uh, it has become almost standard operating procedure in our day and time, in, in the morals and values and wisdom of this present age, for people to live together before they are married. Right? Uh, very common. In fact, it, it, it's, it's so common, you know, we, we, see, we even see couples living together uh, they, they won't bother to be married, but they'll go out and buy a house together. They won't bother to be married, but they, they're raising children together. Uh, but the thinking of the world is, we need to see if we're compatible with one another before we make the commitment to be married. And so they don't commit to marriage. Now, they'll commit to paying a mortgage on a house that they're buying together. Uh, they'll commit to have a child together but they won't commit to be married to one another. The idea is we need to see if we're compatible. Well, of course, that, that sort of thing, that's the wisdom of the world at work. Uh, what, we're, what we find statistically is that there's a much higher percentage of divorce among those who live together before marriage versus those who marry uh, according to the plan of God as taught in the Scriptures. So the wisdom of the world actually is a failure, right? Uh, Family, families that ought to exist don't even exist and, and, they, and, and what is there falls apart in short order. That's the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God's plan is far superior to that, obviously. Uh, the world teaches us that we should be tolerant of all such things. God's Word says there's a way that's right and a way that's wrong and we ought to do what is right. And so, we see worldly thinking. That's just one example of many that we could cite wherein... People pursue human wisdom rather than the wisdom that's revealed in the Word of God. God says that the thinking of the world is a worthless or good-for-nothing thing. Something else that's worthless is religion that ignores God's requirement. The world is full of religious people that completely ignore what's taught in the Word of God. And that doesn't even make sense if you consider it. For instance, what would it be like if on your job... Your boss tells you to do something. He gives you specific instructions about the way he wants a certain thing accomplished. And you just absolutely ignore it and go on to do whatever it is that you want to do. That wouldn't make any sense on the job, would it? If the boss had instructed, gave, it, gave you the specifics, told you what to do and how to do it, and you just went off and did something completely different, people would say, well, that, that's uh, really... Uh, a mindless thing to do. You're, you're going to lose your job. You, you go about things that way and you won't be working here for very long. You've got to do things the way the boss says, right? But religiously, people apparently don't think that way and they think that they can serve in religion after their own dictates and ignore what God has specifically said. That doesn't make sense. It's a worthless thing to try and pursue religion while ignoring what God requires religiously. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, you remember these verses, part of our memory verse program a year ago, 
This people draweth nigh unto me with their lip, with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The word we're looking for there, let me go back to that. The word we're looking for right there is the word vain. In vain they do worship me. Vain, the word vain suggests worthless or good for nothing, right? So they're worshiping, but it's not good for anything. It's a vain worship, worthless, because they're teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. God has told us what He wants. They won't do that. Instead, they pursue their religion by following the commandments of men. Now, in that same context, I want you to look a a little earlier in that same chapter. If you go back to verse 1 beginning, you see what kind of people Jesus was addressing. He said, Then came... To Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother. He that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whoso shall say to his father or mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honors not father and mother, he shall be free. Thus you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now I'll take a minute here to explain the situation that Jesus is describing. These scribes and Pharisees were so much about their own rules that they would judge a person based not on whether they had kept the law of God, but whether they had kept the traditions that they had established. And one of their traditions was quite a regimen about washing your hands before you ate. And so they came to Jesus saying, why is it that your disciples don't follow our traditions and they're not washing their hands like they're supposed to before they eat? Well, Jesus turned it right back on them here. He said, you transgress the commandment of God by your traditions. Well, what, what tradition did he have in mind? Well, they had established this tradition. God says that you should honor your father and mother. But they had established this tradition wherein instead of helping their needy or elderly parents, they would say, well, I've devoted all my possessions to God. That's what it means right here when he says that you say to your father and mother, it is a gift whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. Now, I can't help you because I've devoted this thing to God. Now, that was just sort of a bookkeeping procedure in their mind. I've devoted it to God, therefore I can't help my father and mother. They still had possession of it. They still had use of it to their to their will. But they could say to their parents, I can't help you because I've devoted these things that I own to God. Jesus said, by, by this sort of roundabout way, by this scheme that they had invented in their own mind, they were actually violating the commandments of God with this tradition that they had established. Now, the point of this all is, of course, that these were quite religious people in their own mind. Uh, uh, become, but, but they had become experts at dodging the will of God, and they convinced themselves that they were better than most everybody else. But in all of that, and then, of course, the, the verses immediately follow, in which Jesus said, you draw nigh to me with the mouth, honor me with the lips, but your heart's far from me, and your worship is in vain. And so we get from that, that religion that is ignoring the instruction of God's will and the requirements that he sets forth there 
You can call it religion if you want to, but the fact of the matter is that it's a worthless thing that accomplishes nothing good. And I got to tell you, the world is full of people who are in their who are in that very category today, right? Another thing that the New Testament tells us is worthless is religion that does not govern our daily living. Now maybe we begin to hit even a little bit closer to home. You know, the will of God is not just something that regulates us for a couple hours on Sunday morning when we gather for worship. It does that, of course, but that's that's certainly not the full picture of God's law. God's law is for every day, for every hour of every day, for every action that we engage, every thought that passes through our mind is to be regulated by God. The Scriptures tell us if we don't let God's Word govern our daily living, if, if, we, if we think we can segregate what we do here for a couple hours on Sunday morning from the rest of our life, the rest of our life we live the way we want. We've got to do what we're supposed to do when we come here, but the rest of our lives can be lived however we want. That's a vain or worthless thing. James gives an example of that in James chapter 1, verse 26. James 1, 26, James says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. There's our word again, the word vain or worthless. Get the picture of what James is describing. Here's a man. Uh, he, he claims to be quite a religious man, you know. Uh, he, he, he would be quick to tell you about his allegiance to uh, God and talk about uh, the religious activities that he engages in. But when you're around him, maybe he's a guy you work with on the job. Uh, he curses and swears, and uh, uh, he's known to tell filthy jokes. And, and in fa- the fact of the matter, he's not real honest. Uh, you can't trust him because he's, he's a bad one to tell lies. What is, what is James saying about such a person? Uh, again, I think you probably have known some people like that. Maybe you've worked with someone like that. You've had occasion to be around a person who acts that way. James says that a person like that, his religion is vain. It has, It is worthless. Now, that's just one example, but I want to suggest to you that what that is describing is a person who sort of lives a double life. Uh, he, he pretends to be religious, but when you get to see and know what he's really into, you realize that that's not what he is. He pretends one thing, but he actually is something else. And what James is saying... And what we ought to understand as a broad general principle is that if, if God's law for our lives doesn't really govern our lives and regulate what we do, then our religion is rendered good for nothing. And so, uh, as Christians, we need to acknowledge that possibility and we need to make sure that that does not describe us. Going a little further along those same lines, another thing that is worthless are Christians who don't live distinctly different lives. When we consider the world and uh, all, the, all the things that are going on in the world around us today, then uh, it should not be shocking to any of us to say we've got to be different from that. In fact, we ought to be noticeably different than the world around us. When you consider all the immorality that is so prevalent in the world today, uh, we, it should be an easy thing to say, yeah, I've got to be different than that. We should be noticeably different from that. We should be distinct. When you think about what's going on in the world, then you think it shouldn't be hard to get Christians to agree, we're going to have to dress differently 
than the people of the world dress. Because all of the, all of the immodesty of the world, we can't be that way. When we think about how all the things that people of the world do, how they act and talk and the places they go and the things that they do, Christians should stand out. Christians should be obviously different from the people of the world because the world becomes more and more wicked and corrupt. In fact, God is telling us uh, that if we are not different from the world, we're not pleasing to Him. Uh, the problem, of course, is though that we're so tempted to be conformed to the world, to be like the world is, to, to do what they do, to dress and talk and act like they do. But if we, if we fall to that temptation to be like the world, uh, then we're told that this is a worthless pursuit. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't let the world conform you to itself. That's what's happening, though, right? In the case of many Christians, we're becoming more and more like the world and not being distinct like God wants us to be. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 13, in the text that Jacob read earlier, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a, a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So here we're told that we ought to be like salt and light in this present world. Uh, that's, that suggests the idea of being distinctly different, standing out, showing a better way to the people who are around us. Well, what if we're not doing that? What if we're not being the salt and light that Jesus taught in this famous passage from the Sermon on the Mount? What if we're not doing that? What if we're letting the world make us like they are? What if we're conforming to the world? Well, Jesus says that we're good for nothing. We're worthless, right? If we've lost our savor, if the salt's lost its savor, what good is it? Well, he says it's good for nothing. If we're not being the effective salt and light in the world today, if we're being like the world rather than being in contrast to the world to show them that better way, then the Lord says that's a worthless thing. I think we really need to seriously think about that because, again, I believe this is a tremendous temptation to Christians to be like the world around us. Finally, let me suggest to you a, a worthless thing that is identified in the Scriptures is a Christian who does nothing. You know, it almost seems like it'd be an oxymoron, a self-contradiction to, to say a Christian who does nothing. You, you, you think Christian, you think that means activity, involvement. Uh, that means, you know, being busy about doing the will of God. But unfortunately, it's possible to be a Christian and do nothing, and the Scriptures tell us that that's a worthless thing. Uh, don't think that God is pleased just to have you wear the name Christian and not live the way a Christian's supposed to live. We know the very famous parable of the talents taught in Matthew chapter 25. And at the end of that, in verse 26, the Lord answered and said to the one-talent man, Thou wicked and slothful servant. And then he said, Notice, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This one-talent man who didn't do anything is considered unprofitable, worthless, good for nothing. 
we ought to point out, as we often have, that the one-talent man didn't do anything wrong, right? Uh, he didn't embezzle his master's money. Uh, he didn't gamble it away. He, he didn't do he didn't do things that you could identify. He should. You, there's nothing about what he did where you could say, "Well, that was wrong in itself." He should never. No, he didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't do anything, right? And for that reason, he was labeled an unprofitable servant to his master. And that's the case of a Christian who doesn't work and serve effectively in the Lord's cause. If we're not doing anything, then we're considered worthless, good for nothing. We need to, we need to understand that reality. So, what do we got here? Well, we've got a listing of at least five things. You may find some more if you search through the Scriptures diligently. But in the New Testament, I think we find here five things that are clearly identified as worthless. What do you do with worthless things? Well, you get rid of worthless things, right? You certainly don't invest yourself in worthless things. Worthless things are to be avoided, gotten rid of. The New Testament is telling us the thinking of the world is worthless. Religion that doesn't pursue God's requirements is worthless. Religion that doesn't affect our daily life, that changes us and makes us different people on a continuing basis all through the week, not just on Sunday morning. If we're not living distinct, obviously different lives as salt and light, and if we're not really busy, if we're not doing anything in the Lord's service, all of those things the Scriptures designate as worthless. Something to think about and hopefully something that will cause us to be more determined to live like God wants us to live. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. As we bring the lesson to a close, we're going to sing a song of invitation with the purpose being to invite, uh, that if you have needs that we can help with, we want to invite you to, to, to take advantage of this opportunity to be right with God. If you're not yet a Christian, that involves obeying that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're ready to do that, we're ready to assist. If you need study, say so. We'd be anxious and ready to study with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been living faithfully, maybe you've been pursuing some of those worthless kind of things that we described in our lesson this morning. If you need to get your life back right with God, if you need the prayers of the saints, if there's anything we can do to help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.